The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. And welcome back to Brutal Nation, the podcast series that's dedicated to lesser known serial killers and acts of true crime. Yay! I'm your host, the still stuffed up and fucked up Scott Alexander. And right across from me is the one, the only, looking very squatchalicious today, the Sasquatch herself, Tammy Underwood. Say hi. <laughs> Shut up. Everybody should know that you need to stop. You need to warn me before you start talking. <laughs> hi, everybody. <laughs> I still feel like shit. You look like shit. Jake gave me the blue bonnet plague. I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure he gave me the I'm plague. pretty sure he didn't give you that. Pretty sure. I'm pretty sure he gave me... Uh, SARS and the plague <laughs> and, and bird COVID flu and pit swine flu and and probably some I don't know some ribeye steak flu or whatever the <laughs> hell's out there I feel like crap my voice feels like crap it keeps breaking and cracking like I'm going through puberty again I looked at my nuts they dropped <laughs> it shouldn't be my, my, my voice shouldn't be getting all fucking 13 year old kid going through puberty ish I'm surprised I you like can you still too. see your nuts Scott <laughs> Your mom's not surprised. Shut up. <laughs> I hate you. No, I think what you liked was that uh, picture that I sent you of the KY jelly that said, uh, what was it? Uh, oh, my God. That was horrible. Um, some crispy Whole glaze. Cream. Whole glaze. <laughs> yeah. That was disgusting. You sent me another one. I think it was today. Let me go through. Cool. It was so funny, though, because... Um, uh, <laughs> no, not that one. Where is it? Oh, the... Um, the dog. The existence of a subwoofer implies there's a dom woofer. Yeah. <laughs> that one was cute. All right. Remember to use your good di- mic dynamics and let's do her. Well, I'm trying not to move. My problem is, is I move. Um, this I is... got the moves like Jagger. Sing it for me, high voice. Uh, I don't think so. I'm just going through puberty apparently <laughs> again. Yeah. So anyways, um, we are going to do a medical Monday. Um... This one is Efren Saldivar. Um, I already don't trust him. Because of his name? Yep, sounds like he should be deported. Oh my God, I can't believe you just said that. Scott! What? Stop it! I just said that. He sounds like he should be deported, that's all. Yeah, well, um, I have a little introduction here because, you know, I I try to make it clear on Me too, dear immigration. Up. Um, before people started listening to our show, they probably thought their local hospital was a place to go for healing, right? Um, for the most part, you know, they are probably as cynical about hospitals as we are. Um, even though the people wearing the white coats have taken an oath to first do no harm, what happens when their oath taker likes to play God? If they feel it's their duty to decide when and if somebody should die? Um, in this case, nobody knows exactly when the questionable deaths. Uh, truly began at the Glendale Adventist Center Medical Center, after- Glendale, California. Yeah, get the fuck out! I know, I know exactly where that is. You know where the medical center is? Yeah. Really? Have yeah, you been there? I've been by there a few times. Oh, it's, that's that's SoCal, man. Yeah, that's where you're from. Area. Area ish. Yeah, area ish. So oh, after God all, geriatric pains, patients die every day, right? For one reason or another, that's chalked up to natural causes. Sadly, some pass away and hardly anybody takes note. 
Um, for instance, on December 27th, 1996, 75-year-old Salby Astrian, bear with me for a second, um, arrived at the hospital because she was having difficulty catching her breath. Okay? As soon... Is that better? Okay. As soon as the Armenian immigrant arrived, the staff took her directly to critical care. Um, her concerned daughters followed behind while the medical personnel were flitting about. Uh, soon there were also a few respiratory therapists there working with her at, to get her breathing stabilized. When things settled down, everyone around thought they could safely say she would pull through. Um, everyone saw her her condition improve and they all expected that um, she would be released to go home soon, especially since she was finally breathing on her own without the oxygen on her and she was strong enough to feed herself. After all, she'd only been admitted for observation as a precaution. So three days later, before her doctor could sign her discharge papers, she was dead. That happens. Uh, Yeah. They were shocked by how quickly it happened. Um, Then I go, wait, did I say everyone? Uh, there were a few who weren't as surprised. They were already some dark rumors being whispered behind the hands of staff members. Every once in a while, someone would overhear someone else talking about the, quote, magic syringe um, that only seemed to appear on the night shift. Why is it always on the fucking night shift? Have you noticed that, too? Uh, yeah, and it, I kind of explained why. It's always, though, like every one of them that we've done... I think every single one of them has happened either at a late shift or a night shift. Yeah, because even Janine Jones was the 3 to 11 shift. Yeah. Yeah, it's usually because nobody's there. Well, it makes the most sense. Okay, so future medical killers, let's step this shit up a notch. Number one, don't use insulin. Let me reiterate that. Or arsenic. Or arsenic. If you use either one of those, I will personally bitch smack you (laughs) into next fucking Friday. And step it up a little bit. Do it when people are there. Come on, give us a little bit of an adventure. Don't be a pussy. Yeah, Don't be dude. a pussy. You know, pussy. if you're going to serial kill, do it in fucking broad daylight. No shit. Step that shit <laughs> up a little bit. Anyways, there were some that only seemed, let's see, only seemed to appear on the night shift. And then I go, like, some villain in a Batman movie. There were some staff members who had their suspicions, yet nobody had seen anything with their own eyes. Um, I began to notice a pattern myself. It seems to me that when I hear about these cases and look further into them, there is a pattern. I'm not saying all the cases of medical serial killers adhere to this pattern. I'm just saying most do. The majority of cases I've come across... Um, Use arsenic because they're pussies. You no, know, the bulk happen at night and there's hardly anybody around. Yeah. Or on the weekend or holidays when staff is sparse. Um, these are the times when it's not unusual for a staff member to be alone in somebody's room. And it's presumed that the person taking care of you or your loved one is trustworthy. That they are there to make sure you get better and hopefully go back home where you, you're safe and comfortable. They put on that uniform every day they go into work as much, with as much pride and honor as some soldiers do going into battle. Um, then there are those who aren't so honorable. They don't, look, they don't go to work every day because they want to do what they can to make their patients well. They just want to make sure that the patient is no longer around to bother them. After all, there will never be a shortage of patients in the hospital, ever. That's true. You know, when one goes, another one's ready. Because they listen to our show, and they're just checking out one by one. They (laughs) can't. 
<laughs> they can't wait to go in there. Like, we can't wait to go to the hospital now because they told us right. such great things about all these hospitals. Yeah. We just trust every motherfucker that there is now. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, some hospitals are literally bursting at the seams. They don't put on them. Me- these people don't put on their medical uniform before going to work because it symbolizes something to them. Like in the case of Efren Saldivar, he chose to become a respiratory therapist because he liked the uniform. I love a man in uniform. <laughs> it gets right it's now. even more bizarre. Um, Will he respiratory me? <laughs> I'm going to shut off your respiratory here in a minute. Well, he probably got deported anyway. So go ahead. No. It, anyways, Efren Saldivar actually came into this world on September 30th, 19, the end of the 1960s. Yeah, 1969, <laughs> huh? Yeah. In the town of Brownsville. In the great state of Texas, Brownsville, Texas. He didn't come from like Guadalajara or... Uh, give me a minute. His parents live somewhere in the vicinity of Matamoros, Mexico. Um, that's just across the border from the little town at the southern tip of Texas. Like Just the tip. <laughs> I looked it up. It's like right down there. With, you know what? Your movements definitely <laughs> yell, just the tip. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I'm trying to point on the map. <laughs> to, to, to listeners who aren't watching us, okay, yeah, keep pointing. <laughs> I always do that. All right, pay attention, boys and girls. She's pointing right now. <laughs> pointing right at the map. You know that you can see this. Shut show. up. <laughs> they can see me. <laughs> Everybody can. Um, let's see. It's, it's Sara um, Saldivar's mother. That's his mother wanted more for her children than what her impoverished area of Mexico could give them. She was determined to make sure her her children were U.S. citizens. Um, before you start addressing your hate mail to me instead of Scott, I mean, listen, just hear me out. Every border state, especially along our southern border, is faced with a common dilemma. All hospitals in the United States, whether they're publicly or privately owned, they're required to treat everybody who comes through the doors. No questions asked. And then call immigration. <laughs> Shut up. Um, it, does, it doesn't matter if the person has insurance. You know why I'm making those jokes? I was talking to Maritza earlier today, and I told her I would never deported. You'd be nice to my biggest fan. <laughs> I love Maritza, man. I She's do, awesome. too. You know, I didn't have to live with her, but I love her. I admire her for what she went through. I admire her now for putting up with my bullshit. I'm more than ever. Because we were talking about her being the whitest Mexican that I've ever seen. Because you've heard her talk. She yeah, sound, you know, not at all. Sounds very white. And I go, you know, <laughs> you know, people hear you talk, and then, you know, they go to meet you, and then they're like, uh, move aside, Juanita. Where's this chick I was talking to? No, I'm Ritza, whatever, whatever there, you know, Juanita. Just get your tortilla. I don't want no tortillas. <laughs> no turkey legs. No <laughs> You're so stupid. Then I promised I would not have her deported. Well, that's good. I like her. Yeah, she's awesome. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if this person has insurance or not, they have money or not, or they're a citizen or not. It's not out of the ordinary for non-residents in southern states to do what they can to get the quality medical care that they don't get in Mexico. Um, Although the practice is not illegal, it can be exploited. Um, Shortly after he was born, Saldivar was born, his father, Alfredo. Sauce. I knew you were going to say something. I I knew you were going to say something like, or or chicken. Um, (laughs) He took his small family. I I expected chicken, shrimp, sauce, something in that. With his his brother, Parmesan spaghetti. (laughs) Marinara. (laughs) Marinara. And they went to Texas. (laughs) We are so going to get hate mail. Um, He took his small family and they moved to LA to get 
because he was trying to get work as a handyman. Because he needed Romano. Isara actually became a seamstress, so she could find work pretty much anywhere. Um, although the rep- majority of the report- reports I found stated she was a Jehovah's Witness, they didn't mention if he, her husband followed her beliefs. Uh, they did say that she made sure the children learned the teachings, and she encouraged them to spend, spread their knowledge to others. Um, you want to know about Jehovah's Witnesses? that was raised Jehovah Witness. Was she really? I swear to God, yeah. See, and most, most Hispanics are raised Catholic. And that's one reason why her parents fucking hated my guts, because I am not Jehovah Witness. No, you're not anything witness. Yeah. Except I, for a witness to drive me nuts. Um, and drive your mom crazy. I knew oh, you were going to yeah. go. Anywho. Mama. Are you done? In the house. I fucking hate you. Let me know when you're done. I'm done. Okay, thank you. Rubbing her down with oil. I knew you weren't done. <laughs> she would always, Isara would always tell her sons there was only one guaranteed way to get into heaven, and that's to make sure their good deed ledger was always in the block. Yeah. She didn't say those words, but that's how I interpreted it. Shut up and leave me alone. Okay, good, good, good. Do good deeds and be black, okay? <laughs> no, her good deed ledger. Cause, and the reason why I made that comment is because there's a comment on, I think, I can't remember if it's Endgame or something like that, the Avengers movie, that um, Natasha says to Hawkeye, she goes, because my I need some more black in my ledger because she had too much red. Shut up. <laughs> she needs more white, so it's all right. I fucking hate you. Um, Where was I? <laughs> See, I love this new monitor mount that I that I got. I can swing it all the way out of the way, and I could I could I get the full view of all of your facial expressions of of disgust. <laughs> you, and you know there are many. There are many. <laughs> the many faces of Squatch. Yeah, growing up, even though Saldivar was capable of so much more, he was one of those ones that was content just get, doing enough to get by. Oh, like my son. Yeah, mediocre. Um, he had no problem. That's my next sentence. He had no problem with mediocrity because the teachers still liked him. Okay? They liked him because he seemed to be outgoing, even though he didn't have many friends. Um, when he got old enough to notice the kids who belonged to one gang or another um, in his area, he was intrigued by them. He not only thought they were cool, but he also admired that they seemed to exude some p- sort of power. You That's know. how I got my ghetto card. You do not have a ghetto card. <laughs> oh, me. Dude, no. Um, what up, yo? I fucking hate you. The power Saldivar never said, he, he never felt within himself, you know, that self-esteem, that confidence. Um, he began to feel a desperate need to be part of this gang. However, the, the gang he's talking about were in high school, and he was just a kid in junior high. They told him no. Um... Then when he finally made it to high school, he was even more disappointed. He walked through the doors of the high school as a freshman looking for the cool kids he had seen. And no matter where he looked, they weren't there. You know, because obviously they're not going to be there. And I wasn't there, so. (laughs) Yeah, whatever, dude. Okay, they were gone. When he tried to find somewhere else to fit in, he would be further disappointed. He wasn't athletic enough to be a jock, and he wasn't smart enough to be a scholar. And even though he joined the band, he felt out of place. He was a larger boy. What is that beeping? Yeah, dude. 
Somebody's backing up. Are you backing up, Scott? Oh, gotcha. So he was a larger boy and he felt awkward. So he sometimes felt like he stood out from a crowd, but not in a good way. And he didn't of course like he did. this. He's a big guy, man. Yeah. The big ass of his. Fucking, I hate you. He's standing out everywhere. <laughs> They're all fucking, where's Afrin? Oh, I see his ass. He's right there. Are you done? We can't deport him, but that ass. That's getting yeah, on the that bus. That was loud. So just like other boys his age, his hormones kicked in. And when he began to notice the girls, it didn't take him long to notice he was attracted to some of them. The problem was that, let's see, the problem was that, well, with that was the girls he found himself attracted to didn't reciprocate. Because his butt was too big. He had one too many tacos going on there. Have you looked in a mirror lately? Oh, no, I got, I got, I got the full enchilada plate. I'm not even... <laughs> I'm, I got I'm, more ass than a pack of mules. That's what I say, man. I got more ass than a pack of mules. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyways, it, despite their obvious disinterest, he would still become obsessed with them. Um, he would frequently send them notes to tell him of his deep feelings, and in turn, they made fun of him. Dear Juanita, you are the Taco Bell tostada of my dreams. You're making spit my rock star out at the computer. I would eat you with a spicy sauce packet. <laughs> the fire. <laughs> with fire. Look at Sono. Please bring me your sour cream. Yours truly, your guacamole king. <laughs> I hey. Are you done yet? Arriba. <laughs> <laughs> I have a coupon. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He was outgoing, but he was shy, and the rejection hurt him. So he began to withdraw, opting instead just to hang out with his family more. Um, high school is a time when a person goes through a transition from child with no responsibilities to the young adult with ambitions. And however, as he got closer and closer to graduation, it was obvious he had no life goals or ambitions. None. <laughs> Whenever someone asked him what he planned on doing, he was always vague in his answers. You know, he, you know, he said, "I might go to college, I might get a job, I might join the military." But one thing wasn't vague was his lack of urgency or direction when it came to planning his life. <laughs> see, they can't see you, Scott. <laughs> I'm glad that they can't. <laughs> he was going ta-da. <laughs> I was pointing at my son's door. Um, yeah. That's, Are you done? Yeah. Are you sure no. not doing uh, the Jake story? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure. Those around Saldivar who tried to explain to others what he wanted to do probably looked insane. You know, he wants to go to college. No, he wants to get a job. You know, the only way to describe what he wanted to do once he got out of high school was like this. Saldivar didn't want to start his own business where he would work for himself and he didn't want to work for or around other people. As a matter of fact, while he was in school... He did actually get a job. It was just a menial job at a local supermarket. And instead of taking it seriously and being responsible, he acted like he was there to steal things from the store. And he smuggled in Mexicans from across the border. No. Oh. He wasn't stealing things for himself. He stole them for other guys. It's like he wanted to fit in. So he stole things to give to them. Dude, this dude's a fucking retard. He's, he's dumb. So, since he was accustomed to barely doing enough to get by, he found it difficult to work and do well in school. So, it wasn't long before his grades suffered, and he wound up flunking his senior year. 
He was supposed to graduate in 1987, but he was told he wouldn't be able to walk with his class. So he really didn't seem to mind all that much. He was working at a supermarket, and even though it was a dead-end job, it was good enough. He was basically bagging groceries and was like, you know what, I'm fine with this. (laughs) You're not conducting an orchestra, Scott. Sometime introducing you to someone who's <laughs> very much the same way. Sometime after he was to have graduated, he bumped into a friend. Um, this friend was attending the College of Medical and Dental Careers located in North Hollywood. Um, when he walked away from that encounter, he was impressed. However, he wasn't impressed that his friend was going to school in the hopes of attaining a respectable career. It was the bulge in his pants. <laughs> no, Saldivar oh, was impressed. Did you just call him Saldivar? <laughs> Saldivar. I swear to God, you just said salad bar, and I went, wow, and I'm the racist one. You just made fun of this guy's last name. You called him Salad Bar. What the fuck is wrong with no, you? No, dude. Listen to me with your good ear. <laughs> Go on with Salad Bar. <laughs> I can't even... His name is Tomato Salad Bar from here on out. <laughs> hey, he wasn't impressed with the fact that he was, his friend was trying to get a respectable career. No, Sal DeVar was impressed with how good his friend looked in the uniform scrubs. And the fact that he had lettuce. <laughs> Egg croutons. Wanted to look just as good, despite not having any real aspirations as to what he wanted to do in the medical field. He knew he wanted to wear that uniform. He could have just been a stripper if he lost a few pounds and shit. You can buy scrubs in a store. Yeah, (laughs) I know. I've had girlfriends buy it. Naughty nurse thing, you know, with the fucking glove. Yeah, I have a pair of Oregon duck scrubs that I got for Halloween one time. I went as a quack. You need Jesus. No, it's actually pretty help. ingenious of me. Um, he quickly took the high school equivalency test in order to get his diploma. And so by 1988, he was able to enroll in the technical school. From the beginning, he knew he didn't want to be a caregiver. Nope. <laughs> Not me. So he instead... chose to become a technician. Within a year, he not only had a certification, but he also had a job that would allow him to work close to home. He had a job offer. Awesome. Yeah, he was 19 years old with a quote-unquote cool uniform, and he was all set to take his first step into the working world. But not as cool as my uniform. I'm afraid to ask. I won't. (laughs) I'm wearing it right now. (laughs) Yeah, underneath that. So... Shirt, my jeans, my tennis shoes. Nobody likes a man in. F- oh, it's not flannel this time. My big ass balls that's sitting over here. Yeah. On my big ass can. You're such an ass. <laughs> Anyways, he now seemed to have an ambition. Um, he wanted to eventually get a position working on the night shift so that he didn't have to work around people. No, 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 no. He wanted to get on the night shift to fucking kill people because that's what they always think. They probably said that during his interview. Like, just so I didn't have to work around people. But no, I'm thinking already, he's like, I'm going to off some motherfuckers. You'll find out something a little, little later. So even as a respiratory technician, part of his job description meant that he actually had to learn the proper way to use a stethoscope and put in an IV. Okay? 
if shut up Scott, if his patient was having difficulty breathing, he had to determine if they were getting enough oxygen in their blood, and he also had to do respiratory rehabilitation. Therefore, he had to know the proper procedures for intubation. You know, and mouth to mouth. probably this he had to learn to do under pressure because intubation I heard is not that difficult unless you're under pressure. You know, because then it's like you have to find, separate the vocal cords from oh, the... Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, in case he was ever called in on a cold, code blue. Um, so, part of his duties also meant he had to put his patients on ventilators. He had to know how to monitor and adjust the ventilators. And this new job of his naturally came with a lot more responsibility than he ever had at the supermarket. Well, yeah. <laughs> you just went from fucking stocking shelves and bagging groceries to being responsible for people's lives. It's a, you think? You, you fucking know, think? Stocking shelves and begging groceries is not that easy. Oh, don't even fucking get me started. <laughs> don't get me fucking started on that. With the goddamn it. I can't do this. I, fucking, I had to lift a can of fucking fruit above my head. I almost dropped a testicle. <laughs> my nuts fell off and I almost shit my pants. <laughs> Even though he had always done what little he could to get by for this, he did his homework in the medical field. He quickly learned a lot of information about drugs and computers. And he learned how to talk to doctors about these things. So he was beginning to get a positive reputation, like Janine Jones. Yeah. You know? So he caught on quickly as a respiratory tech, and he developed a genuine knack for the work he was required to do. He probably had to with the last name like Salad Bar. (laughs) Shut. Uh, I, s- I said Bar, and you're being a dick. Whatever. Let us continue. <laughs> Shall we? Thank you. <laughs> One thing he really enjoyed was talking to his patients. He would often have conversations with them as he waited for the medication to work in order for their breathing to get better. They never hesitated to talk to him about themselves or their families, and they always thanked him for the help he provided. And asked him about condiments. <laughs> Ranch dressing, please. <laughs> Gotta get that respiratory therapy with a side of ranch and some croutons. He was doing so well at his job, he actually eventually got the night shift he wanted, um, where he was able to work with little to no supervision. So there wasn't uh, very, since there wasn't very much supervision, there wasn't really anybody to hold him accountable. As a matter of fact, there was only one other tech on duty during the night shift. And they split up the care of the patients, and there were times when they could work a whole shift and barely see each other. You know. That's my dream job, man. I know, dude. <laughs> I hate working around. I, hate I know around you people, do. Man. I think that's why you do truck driving, because you don't have anybody with you. Yeah, no, that's exactly why. Yeah. And even dispatch doesn't even contact me most of the time by the phone. Well, sometimes Chief White Claw does, but... Uh, most of the time, I get text messages, which is fucking fantastic. <laughs> I don't want to talk to anybody. I just, I, I, I'm not a people person. Yeah. So working on the night shift wasn't difficult at all, and there were very few emergency situations. He got to a point where he began to work part time at other facilities, um, and because these facilities were shorthanded, and he told them that he just wanted to pick up extra hours to help his, with his family's expenses. To everyone who knew him, it seemed like he was doing something he was enjoying the boy who lacked any sort of ambition was now proving to be quite responsible and competent granted he was still a bit awkward around the ladies but he always was available if anybody needed him to do a favor although saldivar was still living at home with his parents he had managed to buy isara a car 
Um, he also didn't seem to be depressed as he'd always been, and his mother was gl just glad when he didn't need to take his Zoloft any longer. Okay. Let me restock the salad bar. Gotcha. In the hospital, it's not uncommon for nurses and respiratory therapists working on the night shift to slip in and out of rooms unnoticed. Um, the hours of the night shift were from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m., and although the halls are empty, the staff still have a routine they have to do. So if anybody appeared to be going about their normal routine, it's unlikely anybody would notice they were there. You know? Right. Yeah, so one shift leader... and. One shift leads into another, and it's easy to see how people could just take for granted that those around are doing their job. Um, during the 11 to 7 shift, most of the patients slept peacefully, so peacefully that the staff barely noticed they were there. However, just like during the day shift, there's a select few that managed to be awake the entire night. Um, these patients required attention. Some even demanded it. Of the patients who happened to be awake most of the night, uh, some were lonely and wanted a little company, which I understand. And it was easier for them to get that on night shifts since not everybody was around and they had more time. And some of them were just hungry. I fucking hate you. But salad bar. However, I'm not going to let you live that down. You said you called him salad bar. I said salad bar. No, you said salad bar. <laughs> That's what the hell you said. <laughs> so I'm stuck on salad bar now. <laughs> However, there were also patients who quickly became known as the chronic complainers. Um, those who wanted to be given their treatments anytime they wanted it, day or night, and the ones that treated the hospital as if it were an all-inclusive resort, and the call button was a device to keep the staff at their beck and call. Wait a minute. It isn't? No, Scott. Son of a bitch. <laughs> You're not going to the hospital today. I was planning on it. <laughs> a little later. Yeah, a little rub down. A little sponge bath. I was going to say, can I get my sponge bath, please? That's right. Maybe a little happy ending. Side note, when I was in high school, I was a candy stripper and had to get a sponge bath. Yeah. It wasn't always that pleasant. I bet, no, I bet you not, but I bet you got tipped well. Because I, I had a lot of dirty old men like you. <laughs> Anyways. That's what I'm looking forward to when I, if I wind up in a home. I'm going to get kicked out of them all across the U.S. You Maybe probably. There's going to the be a freaking warning sign. Mr. Alexander, you're not allowed here because you tried to put your whole hand up a woman's vagina. <laughs> and that's just not allowed. Your whole hand? Damn, Scott. Well, she was a big girl, so <laughs> I thought I could go deep. I'm going to throw up. I wanted to try to massage your soul. Are you done? So it's not some chowder. It's not surprising some of the staff would be unappreciative of this type of behavior. This was even more so when the patients were actually, quote, frequent flyers. That's what they call them. So one of these frequent flyers, was her name was Jean Coyle. Uh, she was in the hospital on February 26, 1997, when she pushed her call button again. So Saldivar responded again. According to the report she gave the LA Times, he went in, and the next thing she knows, she blacked out. Um, she claims that she didn't know how it even happened. She just remembers that she eventually came to and she never got, gave it another thought. Later, when she heard about what had been going on during the night shift, she began to wonder if there was something darker behind her incident. Mind you, she never reported it at the time. Okay. Um, in April, just two months later, I put Bab, but I meant to put Bob. Well, check this out. His, his name is Bob Baker. Not Barker. Baker. Another respiratory therapist. What a fucking... He's white. Very much I so. will tell you that right now. That yep. motherfucker is like 
There he's is so no white. white. There's nothing but white in that name. Yeah, like he stands against a white wall. He disappears. That's Worse how, than you. That is a white fucking name, man. <laughs> Holy shit. Anyways. He plays the hunter. He plays that game to hunt a killer. I was talking to Marissa about that today. Were you? Yeah. Do you tell her we want to get? I want to get it. That's why. That's a fucking game that only white people play. Yeah, that's true. Um, he actually went to his boss and mentioned his suspicions that Saldivar was up to no good. Now Baker suggests Saldivar may be injecting his patients with something. It isn't uncommon, especially when the hospital is in a larger city, for the staff to spread rumors. Um, particularly if they think that the, num- the number of unusual deaths tends to spike. However, nobody would or could terminate or suspend an employee without some sort of proof. So the salad bar went bad. Fuck, I hate Following you. along now. So this is, I hate, this. I can't even say this is name. dressing spoiled? No, because I know you're going to fucking make fun of it. John Bechtold, B-E-C-H-T-H-O-L-D. What did he tell <laughs> oh, I'm interesting. That's how he got busted. Yeah. He was actually the head of the respiratory department, and he knew that Baker didn't like Saldivar. However, he wasn't fond of the man either. Um, it wouldn't have taken much for this guy to file a formal complaint with the administration. However, he, if he went with nothing more than a suggestion, it would look more like a personality clash and less like a serious concern. That's when he decided to go to one of his fellow supervisors and tell him what he'd, quote, overheard and ask him if they could work together to be more vigilant. Okay? Yeah, Yeah, more often than not, when a medical professional is thought to be an angel of death, it's because there's a pattern that is developed whenever they are on shift. Yet that pattern is only present during the times they are present. Why are you taking off your clothes? I'm not listening to you. Keep going. (laughs) Anyway... (laughs) <laughs> You're so stupid. Not doing anything. Um, take Janine Jones, for example. When she was working, the likelihood of one of the children in ICU having an emergency went up when compared to the other two shifts. I don't want to see it, Scott. You are not Superman. <laughs> Stop it. Janine would also act out a character for someone in her position. Um, and when she was let go from that position, the same pattern continued at her new place of employment. I don't need to see the moose. It, I, as Scott. So with her, a distinct pattern emerged. It did. You know what? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to come over here at night anymore because you get stupid. <coughs> when it came to Saldivar, there was no distinct pattern. As a matter of fact, there didn't seem to be ever be anything out of the ordinary when it came to his shift there was no unexplained activity so if he was doing something he was extremely careful so careful that there was nothing to indicate there was even a problem okay you know what i know this motherfucker killed people but i'm actually proud of him well yeah he did it i mean everything there was nothing to indicate a problem on paper see i love that because everybody else what, what years was, was this? it's in the 90s See, and everybody else, especially during the 90s and into the 2000s, left a fucking paper trail so goddamn long that you Yeah, look at Cullen and Harvey. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to take back any bad thing I said about Salad Bar uh, because at least he's covering his tracks. Yeah, he is. He's cleaning up after his his dressing incident. (laughs) Got him. Fucking hate you. Yet those who happened to work with Salad Bar closely began... To think his shift was somehow jinxed. They noticed with when one of them would mention that one patient just needed to die already, they suddenly did. 
I mean, you and I have made that comment. They just need to die already. Oh, yeah. You oh, know? Yeah. I get to give several people. Yeah. So, Where is Salabar <laughs> when I need him? Yeah. There were some nights when several of them passed away before the shift was over. Some of the respiratory therapists even joked that Saldivar... Now you have me saying it. Joked with him about him having, quote, the magic touch. Little did they know that he actually did have a magic syringe until he became careless. Dun, dun, dun. I'm waiting for you to say something stupid. I'm not. You're getting to the vinegar of the uh, of the story. Yeah. So <laughs> one, one day, as some sort of practical joke, some of the respiratory therapists actually placed someone else's clothes inside his locker. Saldivar's locker, and it happened to be on his night off. So they actually had to pry the locker open in order to get the clothing out. Makes sense, yeah. Okay, when they managed to get the locker open, one of them spotted a bag inside that looked as if it were out of place. They decided to see what was inside the bag, and they were shocked what, by what they found. In the bag, there was evidence to support all of their suspicions. There were some vials of morphine, succinylcholine, which we heard about with Janine. Okay. You know, and I'm okay with them. You, I'm, I'm okay with them using succinylcholine yes. and morphine. You want to know why? Very few people use it. Because right. This is not being a little fucking bitch and using insulin and fucking arsenic and, and bleach arsenic. and yeah, yeah. And, and bullshit like that. You're doing a good. If the, if this dude is still alive, Efren, so far I'm proud of you, buddy. Well, You're he also good. used another medication called Pavlin. And that's a powerful medication that's used to stop someone's breathing rhythms so they could be put on a respirator. I thought that I'd heard of it. Yeah. But I just couldn't remember in what context. Yeah. So was. next to the bag on the shelf were a handful of empty syringes. These were all out of place because a respiratory therapist would never be allowed to even handle those kind of drugs. Okay? Oh. Yeah. Even with the proof in their hand, they couldn't do anything. Because they had broken into his locker. They broke into his motherfucking locker. Yeah, they had no choice but to remain silent. You have the right to remain silent yeah. and stupid. Right. Then one night, a lady by the name of Ursula Anderson, one of the therapists, was at a bar having a conversation with a man when she casually mentions that Saldivar is doing what he's doing to the patients. This guy's name was Grant Brosis. Um, this is a fucking venereal disease yeah What's wrong with you i got the brosis oh dude to give you a shot yep 10 days that clears up dude anyways spots so everywhere stupid out of the salad bar that's why they have a sneeze guard yeah so when he heard the accusations he wasn't concerned about the helpless patients who might who may wind up as a victim no all this guy could see were dollar signs he figured that the hospital would pay a nice chunk of change to keep this type of information out of the press. According to one or two articles I found, he indicated he thought they'd pay him at least $50,000 for his silence. Really? I, I don't see a hospital doing that. Really? I do. And let me, let me tell you why. Let me give you my counterpoint. Okay. Counterpoint. Colin and Shipman and all mm. that bullshit. They're like, hey, we know that you're doing nefarious shit. We don't want to be involved with that. Go do it somewhere yeah, else. But we'll here's get... your recommendation. I've said that before. And a nice severance package. Yeah. So if you've got this proof and you're going to the hospital going, hey, man, you really want everybody to know that you guys are allowing this to happen? Here's some money. Go the fuck away. That's and, true. You know, go bye-bye. Right. That's true. But when he actually called Glendale Adventist Medical Center in February of 1998, Remember, Saldivar had started working there in like 89. 
Right. Okay. So almost one year after Bob Baker reported his suspicions to his supervisor. However, when they asked him who was doing the things he was saying, he didn't even know the guy's name. That's when somebody freaking violated HIPAA. And they started reading the names of the 40-plus therapists that were working there at the time. And he thought he recalled something sounding like Saldivar. Yeah. Saldivar. Shut up. Since the hospital received this tip from an outside source, even though it was just some guy named Grant, the administration grew concerned. They immediately called the Glendale Police Department and, and handed the case over to them. Even with the authorities called in, they did set about conducting an internal investigation. While the police were looking into what they had received, the hospital was doing their investigation, and another two patients died. Jesus Christ. Right. So the investigator with the Glendale PD who caught the case was Sergeant John McKillop. He went. Did you say John McKiller? McKillop. Oh, I thought you like John McKillop. I'm a goddamn. No. It's a fucking vicious name. I know. He went to the medical center and met with three administrators who told him about the internal tip they had received last year. And they also gave him the pager number of this grant guy who had given them, who, who had given them the number to get in touch with them. Pagers, remember those? When McKillop left the facility, he contacted two other detectives, a Will Curry and a Tony Futuia, F-U-T-I-A. Futuia, too. (laughs) Yeah, to help with this investigation. Futuia began by running a background check on the phone informant, Brosis. It just so happened this guy had actually had an extensive criminal record, so they thought there might be a chance his tip wouldn't pan out, especially since the record included drug charges. Nobody needs to see that including me. However, they continued to work the case as they would any other case. After all, if the tip was a good one, they'd be able to save someone's life by stopping a killer. Why are you doing that to me? Doing what? I'm just sitting over here listening to you. Want me to do it? Just fucking read your story, I can do it too. I gotta go to bed. Shut up. Um, Jesus Christ, wasting so much time. I'm wasting time? Talk about salad bars some more. Shut up. So the detectives were able to track down Brosis. So they started asking him questions to find out what he knew. However, to them, it seemed since the police were now involved, he began to backpedal his story. Um, He claimed that he really didn't know anything, and he didn't even know if the information he was given was accurate. Um, It's clear he had hoped the hospital would just have handed handled it themselves and not involve the authorities since the information he was offering or not offering wasn't all that credible they went back to the hospital so the administration went over their staff roster and told the detectives it was possible this grant had received the information about Saldivar from Ursula when they brought her in for questioning she emphatically stated she had no idea what they were talking about she had never said anything remotely close to that and he was obviously lying Liar, liar, your pants are wrong. Right. The authorities felt like they had hit another dead end. Despite two obvious dead ends, the investigators didn't stop. They figured they weren't going to stop until they had exhausted all avenues. After all, if there was someone harming patients who trusted them with their care, that person needed to be stopped. Since Bob Baker was a therapist who had mentioned his concerns the pre- about the magic syringe the year before, they went to him next. They figured they would just ask him a few questions to see if he knew anything more, and as soon as they contacted him, he informed them that he did indeed know more. After all, he was one of the therapists who found the vials in Saldivar's locker. 
After hearing about the drug vials, the investigators then went to talk to the director of respiratory therapy, John Bechtel. Since Bechtel had not been given prior knowledge of the vials and syringe, he told the detectives that the information Baker gave them could be due to the rivalry that he had with Saldivar. But the best thing about a salad bar is there's two sides to every salad bar. You can go to the other side, get different condiments. The accusation could have been fabricated in an attempt to get the man fired. The authorities had to look at all possibilities, especially when Beckham told them about the investigation he had another supervisor conducted the previous year where they could find no substantiated proof of any wrongdoing. Um, with all this information he was able to obtain from those he had questioned already, McKillop reported to his chief. And that's when it was decided to just talk to Saldivar himself. Okay, bring him in. Let's ask him questions. Um, as part of their internal investigation, the hospital had actually adjusted the schedule, kind of like gave him a few days off. Um, so when the investigators had him go down to the station to answer questions, if the accusations were correct and he was the killer, they were hoping to get some kind of a reaction out of him. When he arrived, the polygraph examiner met with him and asked him if he knew why he had been called in. He replied he was there in hopes of clearing his name because he didn't understand why he had not been given the green light to go back to work. Maybe it was because some random guy called in an anonymous tip accusing him of being a killer. He couldn't wait to talk to them because once he did, people would finally know he was innocent. Right? Poor salad bar. He's an innocent man. Yeah. So the first serious question they asked him was whether he had ever done something like that, like what people were accusing him of doing. First, he denied it. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. Then all of a sudden, he admitted to them that he had been doing it almost as soon as he had started working in the medical center. He told them the first time he injected someone was when he was fresh out of technical school, 19 years old. Yeah. So he told them... You are not innocent, Mr. Salad Bar. You are a bad salad. Brown leaves and all. Brown leaves all wilted with bad dressing. Yeah. Away with you. So... Saldivar told him the first patient he killed was an elderly woman on life support. She was suffering from terminal cancer, and the doctor said there was nothing more they could do. They were getting ready to turn off her machines because the family had just came in to say their goodbyes. And according to Saldivar, after everyone had left the room, he noticed that even though she was not conscious, she was having trouble breathing. He then said he felt so bad when he saw her struggling, so out of mercy, he did something with, her, with two of her tubes, effectively killing her. Okay? Then he told him about another time when he'd injected another patient's IV line with the pavlin. He claims that he found the bottle with a little fluid in it after a doctor discarded it. He said after that, he kept what was left. Um, when he told them that they... Oh, when they told him that... He, they immediately read him his rights, but he didn't invoke them. He continued to talk with them on his free will. As a matter of fact, by the time he was done talking, it was more than two hours later. Right? Dude, I had... Salad bar, I really liked you until you kept on talking, and you should just shut the fuck up. Just saying, man. Yeah. You're a dumb salad bar. Yeah. So he informed them that he had given his first lethal injection in 1980s. I, it says 97, but that doesn't make any sense. At first, he said he had only done it two times. 
Then when Curry said he was more than likely going to do some investigation on his own, Saldivar then told them that he wasn't the only one doing it. He said there were others and they would all just go around the rooms and inject the people who, who they felt shouldn't live anymore. Um, he claims his actions were because he felt sorry for his patients, not because he wanted to kill them. Um, Curry went to, wanted to know how many patients had their lives terminated by the respiratory therapist. So he asked, was it more than 500? Saldivar told him he was sure it was less than 50, and he thought it was over 40. Uh, for those who are trying to keep track, the whole thing went from two to more than 40, but less than 50. Patients, all he knew was that they, he was sure they were, quote, ready to die. He was just helping them get there. There you go. He's being helpful. Kind of yeah. like a Boy Scout. Kind of like one. He said that his, oh, why did I, I said that already. Um, uh, oh, anyways, Curry would later tell a reporter for the BBC that Saldivar seemed to have a precise criteria for the patients he murdered. There were three criteria the patients had to meet before he killed them. One was they had to have a DNR, do not resuscitate order. Two, they had to be unconscious. And three, they had to be, quote, ready. According to Curry, um, I'm quoting him, he prided himself on having a very ethical criteria as to how he picked his victims. Cool. Okay. Uh, the two drugs that Saldivar used to murder his patients were succinylcholine and pavlon. Uh, the preference of both medications is nearly impossible to detect, which we found with Janine. Right. Um, during an autopsy, unless specific tests are ordered. That meant without his confession, they would actually have to find the drugs in his possession or exhume the bodies. And send those tissue samples if it's for the uh, proxylcholine. Succinylcholine. Succinylcholine to Sweden because they were the ones who invented that. Good fucking job. I'm so proud of you for remembering. It has to go to Sweden and then they, they were tested. It's very expensive. And then they sent it back to you. <laughs> Is yeah. that how they talk in Sweden? Pretty much. That's as good as I can do. I'm so stuffed up right now. My throat's all <laughs> fucked up. Um, let's see here. And we should deport salad bars. <laughs> so by the end of the night, they placed him under arrest. Okay. The following day, they were able to search his home in hopes of finding the evidence. All they managed to find, I think they searched Scott's house, was a hefty quantity of pornographic material. <laughs> um, excuse me, no, because I get my porn the modern way on my fucking phone and the internet. I know. Except for my blow-up my blow doll, my vibrator collection, and, uh, and that ball gag. Oh, and then the ropes for and the cat woman suit for your mom. Why the ropes? Your mom asked me for. You are not tying my mother up. She said, tie her I up will and kill spank you. Spank her like a bad kid. I will kill you. <laughs> she said, meow, baby. Shut up. Anyways, there were no syringes, no drugs, just porn. Lots of porn. In the end of itself, that in and of, in and of itself is not a crime. Just Thank and then God. I go just ask Scott. <laughs> that is true. That is true. You can have as many blow up dolls as you want. It's not a crime. And blow up sheep. I'm not even going to ask. <laughs> this wasn't good news for the investigators. Um, they just can't hold someone and charge them with a crime because they confess to something. It doesn't matter how much they confess to how brutal the crime may be, since they had nothing to hold him on, they had to release him from custody. 
After only 48 hours in jail, Saldivar was free to go pending an investigation. Run, Saldivar. Run. Yeah. However, despite what couldn't be done to him legally as a result of his confession, something could be done to him professionally. The administration um, at Glendale um, terminated his employment on March 13, 1998. Just to be safe, they went one step further, and they suspended 37 other members of the respiratory department. Smart move, actually. Yeah. Then, to add to the pressure placed on the authorities investigating the crime, or lack thereof, Saldivar recanted his confession. He said he never actually killed any of his patients, and according to this statement, he said that in addition to the depression, he had another mental disorder. The pressure of these mental issues is what made him confess in the first place he'd made the story up. See, he's just an unstable salad bar. Without that part of the equation, the physical evidence they had yet to find was even more vital. McKilla put a lot of time and effort into it, and he added three more investigators, so he now had, a, he now had six on this task force. With more men, he even rented a house near the hospital to use as a command post. The team then brought on some experts to educate them on this phenomenon that was new to them, the angels of death. Um, experts told and them... salad bars. The concept of a medical serial killer, although not entirely new, still seems to be so out of place when compared to other serial killers. After all, when you go see a doctor or at the hospital, how many of us look around and say, is my nurse really there to help me or is she trying to kill me? Um, I actually asked my doctor that now. Excuse me, you're not like a serial killer doctor, right? (laughs) I'm not going to die, am I? (laughs) I do a podcast and we do a lot of research and Medical Mondays say that there's a good chance that you're here to fucking kill me. So I just want to get this out of the way. If you are, that's fine. Just yeah, fucking let me know. Just let me know. I don't, I don't want no surprises like, oh, my God, she actually killed me. Any, yeah. Any bullshit no. like that. I just want to know. So they quickly learned that there are actually various reasons, which we've gone into before. Um, however, it doesn't all just boil down to one thing deep down. They are uh, – there could be some, like Michael Swango – that are killing because they want to. Okay? Um, during their investigation, the task force members found, despite what Saldivar tried to get them to believe, when someone is given pavilion as a means to kill them, it is anything but merciful. It's actually derived from a drug in Africa, and when administered to a patient incorrectly, it doesn't knock them unconscious before it shuts down their respiratory system. In reality, it causes them to suffer a conscious paralysis, and they feel every last second as they suffocate to death. Jesus Christ. Yeah, can you imagine how brutal that is? That's pretty fucked up. Yeah. That's a fucked up salad bar. Yeah, so when he administered this drug inappropriately to his patients, he wasn't easing their suffering. He was making it so they couldn't scream out or get someone's attention all they could do is lay there helpless until it was all over and their throat closed up. It was as if he had placed a pillow over their face and pressed down until they stopped moving. However, in my opinion, it was worse because they couldn't struggle against the medication like they could a pillow. Um, once the detectives learned all of this, they knew the task ahead of them was a daunting one. There was so much paperwork that had to be gone through. They had discovered that more than 1,000 patients had died at one point or another while he worked there in eight years, Um, especially since it's a very populous city and area. 
even though a substantial number of them had more than likely been cremated, they still couldn't exhume the rest in an effort to test them. That would take forever, and the cost would be too much. So the six men set about narrowing the list down. So they began with the most recent deaths that occurred while Saldivar was working. Then they focused more specific attention to the deaths that appeared more mysterious. And the last part of the equation was to determine which of those were still available and which had been cremated. In all, they were at the command, command post for over an hour and they had narrowed the list down to 20. Um, then um, all the investigative team needed to put him in jail for the rest of his life were few of them. They only needed a couple. Throughout the summer of 99, they exhumed the bodies of potential victims and sent them to a pathologist. He would then examine the bodies closely and take samples of the tissue from the liver, bladders, and muscles, which he sent to the lab. When the tissue samples arrived at the lab, a forensic technician set about doing their job. The lab, the lab team was headed up by, oh, this is another white name for you, Brian Andreessen at the Lawrence Livermore Forensic Science Center in Oakland. For this case, Anderson actually developed He's his... He's in Oakland. He's got to be black. <laughs> Shut up. He... Oakland is all black. No, it's not. And Mexican. Shut up. And Puerto Rican. Are you done? Is there Asians in there too, Scott? Anyways. Maybe some Asians. <laughs> you, you're they, all, they all have chopsticks and throwing stars. Anyways. And pagodas. He actually developed a site... <laughs> protocol love you long time. which is demonstrated to ensure proper procedures were used while retrieving and preserving the biological evidence. While eating his fried rice. He decided to focus his attention on finding the pavilion because um, this medication was the difference, the reason they focused on that medication and not the succinylcholine because um, the succinylcholine will actually break down and the elements are natural to the human body. With that, the, and the test needed to actually discover it was developed in Sweden. In Sweden. And it's very expensive. So yeah. the pavlin, on the other hand, was synthetic. And that is given to patients in very low doses. So while they're on a respirator, it remains detectable in the tissue of the body for years. Uh, therefore, if they were going to prove that someone had used this medication to kill someone, they had to work look for levels that fell above the range of what would be considered normal. Uh, when the testing first began, they, the ones that were coming in were like negative results. They were all normal. Um, so it was disappointing. Um, it continued to go that route and the past year, as if the past year and a half had been for nothing. Then there were three in a row that hit positive. That was a start. When the tests were completed on all 20 bodies they had exhumed, the team had six that tested above the normal range. But they still have to prove that he actually did it. Uh, yeah. That's next what I'm going to say. Okay. The prosecuting team prepared the criminal charges in January of 2001. One morning, the now 31-year-old Saldivar was on his way to work at a construction job when officers followed him and placed him under arrest. They charged him for murdering six patients. All of them were elderly, and one of the elderly was actually developmentally disabled. Kind of like you. Again, I fucking hate you. He was taken down to the station where they booked him and read him his rights. Again, he didn't invoke his rights before he talked. However, this time he seemed to be singing a different tune. I killed that retard. <laughs> Shut up. That's what he said, right? I hate you. You know I hate that word. 
the year before, he had said that he and others worked together to end the suffering of those who were, quote, ready to die. In 2001, he said that he claims that his shifts back then were understaffed and he was overworked. So in an effort to ease his workload, he simply had eliminated a couple patients. Yeah, that's what he said. What an idiot. I wouldn't have said shit. I know. One reported... You got nothing on me, pig. <laughs> I ain't saying nothing. <laughs> I ain't saying nothing to the fuzz, man. Now what do you got to say, pig? I, I want my attorney. Get me a lawyer. Are you done? Fuzz be coming in here, rest me out on my way to work. Yeah. Anyways, one actually... One... Reporter described it like this. When Saldivar was at his wit's end, he would look up at the patient board and decide, who do we need to get rid of today? One. <laughs> Just one. Just one. Maybe two. I knew two. you were going to go there. He went... <laughs> Saldivar went on to admit that when he worked part-time for other facilities, he killed patients there as well. Although he had admitted to killing other patients at other facilities, he had never admitted to administering injections to those patients. He claims that after he killed 60 victims, he lost count. Wait a minute. Oh, hit the motherfucking brakes. I knew you were going to go there. Stop. <laughs> go ahead. Ask me. Because he just, he, previously he said, well, it's less than 50, but more than 40. No, first he started with two. Uh, no, I, I know okay. that. But I'm talking about how we ended the last Yes. Time. Now he's saying at 60 he lost count. But he figures the number's closer to 100. Salad bar. I don't even know what to make of you. You are fucking retarded as fuck. Yeah. I have no respect for you anymore. You yeah. Count he actually ass. said the whole process was a gradual one. In the beginning, the first couple of times he killed a patient, he was bothered a little bit by what he had done. What do you think? <laughs> However, he got used to it. He said, you don't plan it. In other words, it didn't seem like he planned in advance which patients he would kill on any particular day. However, once he decided, that was that. According to him, after that, you don't think about it for the rest of the day or ever. It's kind of like eating ass. You don't really think about it at the time. But then she says, hey, why don't you try this? And then it's just, you kind of get used to it. Okay, no, I'm digging. I'm following your story. All I can do is hang my head in shame. <laughs> I had to that I'm out. even in the same room with you. I had to pull out something big because you're getting pretty uh, immune to my bullshit. I am. I was getting used so, to it and just working right through it, and then so, you say something stupid. So I had to go deep into the vault. So deep. So deep in the butthole. I hate you. <laughs> you want to hear something funny before I go on? My mom, Tossing the salad? No. What? My mom was listening to one of my our episodes with me, and we, it's when we were just bantering back and forth, cracking up. And she goes, do you guys do this all the time? I said, yeah. She goes, is this why people listen to you so much? I said, yeah, pretty much. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> they want to hear what stupid shit Scott's going to say next. Actually, I'm thinking about it. Really think about it. Like, I don't know if you're into the whole ass eating thing, but you don't know. Nobody actually sits down. <laughs> you Okay. No. Nobody actually sits down on a first date and goes, hey, how's it going? My name's Scott, you know. Um, Can I eat your ass? <laughs> and, and, you know, and you're, you're talking about, oh, yeah, I play guitar and things are pretty good, you know, what have not. So what are you what are you into? Oh, my name's Mary, and I like to sew, and I love to bake and cook. And Could you eat my ass? <laughs> I'm just curious. Are, are you into eating ass? Also, I like to garden. <laughs> 
it's, it's, not, a, it's just a hobby. <laughs> it, it's it's a spare the moment thing, you know, the the heat of the moment where you're sitting there and she's you know screaming things like you know stir my butthole like a bowl full of chili and then eat my ass. It's, it's always something like that. <laughs> like that. Oh yuck! <laughs> I'm thinking about that cereal thing you sent me. <laughs> With what they had for evidence and this new confession of his. It was enough to take the man to court. The lead prosecutor on the case presented Gene Coyle, the one from the beginning, as his star witness, um, um, uh, including her case. Saldivar is being charged with six murders and one attempted murder. The prosecutor even offered Ursula immunity in exchange for her testimony, saying that she was the one who actually gave Saldivar the the pavilion, and she knew exactly what he was using it for. Yeah, so around yeah around the same time, Saldivar's trial was beginning. The Glendale Medical Center held a press conference so they could release a statement. They started the press conference by offering a heartfelt apology to the families of the victims and assured them they were aiding the police in all aspects of the investigation. They went on to say how quote disheartened. They were by the by how someone working for them would be so quote shockingly could would so shockingly abuse a position of trust, especially one to which people were so vulnerable. The spokesman for the hospital claimed that he they had no clue how Salazar had managed to get his hands on the drugs. You almost did salad bar again. I did. I saw you. He had used to kill his patients, but as a result of the charges pending against them, they were tightening their controls they had already had on their drug dispense procedures. Here are the changes they made in 2001. Um, hereafter, they would institute a mor- mortality analysis, and this means they were having one single physician review all the records after each death had occurred, and this was being done in an effort to spot any suspicious trends. Um, then that data would be set into specific columns so that the visibility of the results was easier. Uh, they instituted greater controls on their drug dispense, especially over the types of drugs a staff member could use to induce death. A respiratory therapist would thereby be subject to the orders of a physician for the use of ventilators. In addition to that, there would be computer surveillance on all ventilator settings. Uh, that way, all the changes would be recorded and printed out in a report. Um, any and all medications not used during a code blue resuscitation would be properly secured at the, co- the conclusion of the code incident. Um, the hospital then privately offered settlements to the families of the victims, and a few of them accepted. Um, in the end, Saldivar agreed to plead guilty to the six counts of murder in March of 2002 in exchange for life in prison rather than risk the death penalty. Although he didn't know it at the time, the prosecutor had never really intended to push for that sanction anyways. Um, Salzberg chose not to contest anything about the investigation, accepted the terms of his plea bargain, and the sentence recommendation. He, formally, he was formally sentenced on April 17th of 2002, and... You might remember this name, Judge Lance Ito. Oh, yeah. Of O.J. Simpson yes, fame. That's, that's, that's an O.J. Yeah. thing right there. He was the presiding judge, and he ordered uh, Saldivar to serve six consecutive life sentences for each count of murder and an additional 15 years consecutive for the one count of attempted murder. 
See, that's where he fucked up. He should have grabbed a glove and tried to fit it on. Dude. The glove don't fit. You must have quit. Right? So during the sentencing hearing, Salivar did offer the families of his victims an apology of sorts. He said, I know there is nothing I can say that can soothe your anger or bring relief to your anxiety. I want to say that I'm truly sorry and I ask for forgiveness, although I don't expect any. Um, one reporter was kind enough to point out that had Saldivar been executed by the state of California, he would have actually been given the same drug that he had chosen to give his patients. You know? Um, Even though he was the only employee brought up on criminal charges, he wasn't the only one to receive a sanction. In May of 2002, the California Department of Consumer Affairs Respiratory Care Board, that's a long-ass name, no shit. Yeah. I'm just writing them a fucking letter. I know. I'd get tired just writing their fucking name. I would do CDC, ARC, CB. I don't know. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. I would sue you motherfuckers. Yeah. They submitted a petition to a judge asking that Ursula Anderson's license be suspended. Um, the basis for their petition was simple. Since she openly aided and abetted Saldivar in his criminal activity. Why is my microphone jumping? Um, see it? It's no. like bouncing. Anyways, or I'm just looking at her funny. Um, You're looking funny. <laughs> she herself had acted unprofessionally and with extreme neglect. In addition to suspending Ursula's license, an investigation was launched to determine the involvement of three other respiratory therapists. So that's it. That's all. But that one. Do you believe he was nature or nurture? Oh, that motherfucker's nature all the way. Yeah. Motherfucker. God damn. Especially when he grew up with all that. I mean, his mom made sure that he had every opportunity. Right. You know, and here's this little asshole sitting there going, Ole Pato, my name is Salad Bar. I want to fuck everything up. (laughs) Yeah, I have very little ambition, but I want to wear the uniform because it looks cool. He doesn't wear a uniform because it looks cool, though. No, but he does wear a fucking safety vest. Kind of like being retarded. (laughs) Yes, wear the safety vest. Don't you wear a safety vest, Scott? I've seen it in your room. Only when I have to go to like CG Roxanne and places like that require it. Roxanne. They turn on the red light for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So do you believe that it's more than a hundred patients? Probably. I think he's been killing people a long fucking time. If he started as soon as he started working there. Yeah. Eight years. Yeah, his his body count's gotta be up there. Gotta be up there. Yeah. <laughs> and to think th- I mean, to go from I mean, to be like, okay, it bothered me a couple times, but then it was like nothing. One reporter actually referred to it as, yeah, like he, um, it was easy as stealing a pack of gum. Or eating butt. I've never done that. So I wouldn't know. Try it. You'll like it. I mean, a clean butt. I'm not saying like get one that's like sweaty homeless or anything. That's gross. (laughs) I don't even know where to go with you. (laughs) Apparently not about eating butt. That's no, <laughs> no, dude, I'm not about ready to do that. So not even for Roxanne. Rox, no. <laughs> Turn on the red light. No, not at all. But yeah, I was just. To me, he disgusted. I mean, I I get disgusted with a lot of our medical serial killers, but he took the cake. Yeah, I agree. I mean, even though he used a new medication that we've that's not, true. we haven't heard of yet. So that I do admire from Salad Bar. Yes. Although I can't get over the fact that, I mean, he's a respiratory therapist. Those are the ones that are supposed to help you breathe better. Yeah. 
that's part of respiratory. Yeah, and he made sure they didn't breathe anymore. Yeah, no breathe. Yeah, and when I first found out, I mean, when I was first reading it, though, I was like, okay, he's using a medication that would, you know, shut down the respiratory system. No, not, I mean, it did, but they were completely aware of everything. Paralysis is what it does. Yeah, well, we learned that with the succinylcholate, too, remember? Yep, yep, yep. So it was just like, oh, no. He has no respect. I have no respect. None. Me either. So can we wrap this one up? I have got it laid down. Yes, I'm we can. Why did I come over? Dying. Just to do one episode? Well, it's late, and I'm dying, and my head's full. It's 5 p.m. I'm dying. I've been up since 1. Don't make your problems my problem, Scott. See, it wouldn't be a problem if you drop your mom off here overnight. How would that not be a problem? Oh, it'd be much better. Oh, oh my God, God, I'm done. Come on, wow. Boom, chicka, wow, wow. Just hearing her go, meow, big daddy. I have no words for you. <laughs> I'm done. All right. Remember, you can send us an email at brutalnation at twistedbluellc.com. Check out the website, twistedbluellc.com. Check us out on Medium. Crime Beat, that's on Medium. And eh, search us on a, a, other. Yeah, just shit search too, our name. We're, we're everywhere. Fuck. <laughs> This show's copyrighted 2020. Oh, hey, by the way, click on that fucking Amazon link because you're having Black Friday sales and shit. Helps yeah. out the show. Doesn't cost you anything extra. And uh, click on the Patreon link that's on this episode right at the bottom. Oh, yeah. Hey, help us out with a little bit of Patreon action, yeah. man. Helps the show. Yeah. Anyways, sorry I sound like crap today. I'm going to go die because my son gave me the bubonic plague. You do not have the bubonic plague. And probably SARS and swine flu. You do not have any of that, Scott. I probably have, I don't know, fucking ham steak flu or something. Dude, nobody feels sorry for you, so stop talking. They all feel sorry for me. <laughs> this show's copyrighted 2021 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights reserved. We will talk to you guys later. Bye-bye. Bye, ever.